This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery, and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery, because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. There was a full moon in Manchester on Tuesday evening, but it wasn't the only spooky thing on show at the Etihad. As a game of two halves, Sea City eventually get across the line as group winners. We'll have all the fallout from the Leipzig clash and much, much more. It's Wednesday, the 29th of November. I'm Amos Murphy. I'm Joe Ritchie. And I'm Alex Michelle. And this is the City Report Podcast. Well then, Alex, what a game to have picked to come on your first show on the City Report podcast. Um, easing you in lightly, no such thing. Welcome, Alex. I mean, most people probably notice you from Twitter. You do some fantastic stuff, particularly FPL, lineup predictions, etc., etc. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. I know it's been a long time coming. So um, welcome to our humble abode. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. It's an absolute honor. And uh, yeah, couldn't, couldn't really pick a better day. A little, maybe good luck charm there or something in that second half. But uh, hey, what a game, what a game. I know. I mean, at half time, I was thinking, dear me, this is your first and only appearance because it was it was looking a bit ropey. But yeah, balancing out the US versus UK ratio as well. I mean, mm-hmm. joining us again is Joe Ricci from the States itself. Um, I'm, I'm out balanced here. I'm outvoted. Um, I guess we'll just stick to the football and, and no chat about any sort of UK US culture division. <laughs> yeah, we don't need any. Uh... Any hot takes tonight besides football? So I think we'll keep it keep it at that. And I, I do want, you know, before we get too in-depth here, just on the record of the message I sent at halftime with the score <laughs> prediction of 3-2. Of so and what, want to and just what, ri- what was my reply? If you, I mean, I don't mind you saying it. I think it was two uh, words and it went along the lines of no chance or something like that. Yeah, I think it was like not tonight. But <laughs> yeah. um, maybe you were thinking 4-2, you know? That's, that's fair. True. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. let's get straight into it then. I think there's only one way we can really do this podcast and much like the game itself, we're going to split it into two halves and we'll start off with the first half because, dear me, um, this seems to be a, a sort of a common theme running through sort of halftime 
takes, I guess. Um, Alex, was that the, the worst half of football under Guardiola since he joined? What? Back in 2016, I mean, there, there were some bad ones in 2016-17. I think somebody pointed out Leicester in 2020-2021. But for me, pound for pound, I think that's up there. In, in fact, I think it's probably the worst. That's interesting to hear. I didn't think it was that bad. I was more frustrated than disappointed, I would say. And I think a lot of that comes down to I felt like a lot of the issues were avoidable to begin with in terms of the selection and the lineup and whatnot. And for me, it felt like, you know, maybe like 85 or 90% of our plan, our buildup was good. And then we got to that final action and no one had their head on straight. And it just felt like whether it was Holland, whether it was Grealish in the first half, whoever it was, it just felt like they didn't have like that extra level of sharpness that you would typically expect, especially at home. I think that was like another big part of the disappointment is whenever you're at home in a Champions League group game, especially, you expect to just thrash whatever opposition comes up. And yeah, it was the exact opposite of that. Yeah, it was, it was, I think possibly either side of the goal, there were enough positive spells for City. The reason I stick it in that bracket of being what I, I think was a truly abysmal first half was just the amount of unforced errors City players were, were sort of throwing up, Joe. And I, I think I was the, the fella who, who sits next to us at the game, um, Jack, shout out Jack. We were speaking at halftime and we were saying, Genu- genuinely, is there a player that, if you could, you would keep on for the second half? And I think at that point, you know, e- even Ortega had a few shaky moments, a, sh- a few shaky passes. Rodri, Jesus Christ, we'll go into individuals in a moment, but that is that is... Possibly the worst, even 90 minutes I think I've seen for him since the start of 2021-22 season. Um, But it was just, I think every single player at least once gave the ball away. And that's not something you associate with City at all. No, I mean, I I think it was sloppy. Um, I don't think I'd go as far as saying it's one of the worst halves under Pep in that there was two inexcusable defensive mistakes. Um, Again, Leipzig... Are no slouches, you know. They're they're a press heavy team. I, I get, I, I'm sorry to insult, I get what you mean, but surely that contributes to it because I think it's okay saying, "Oh yeah, they were sort of errors you don't really see," but th- that's kind of the point, isn't it? it? It is, and I I get that point. I guess my counterpoint is that it's not like City created nothing either, right? Mm-hmm. On another day that we go into the half two two, and I don't think you can say it's the worst half. I mean, the Carabao Cup against Southampton literally exists, and that was the worst ninety <laughs> minutes of football I think I've ever had to watch. So, I think. Um, those two mistakes, and again, from players in Diaz and, and Akanji, and to some extent, actually, Vardy all on the second goal, are things you don't expect to happen. So, yes, it is a bad half of football. But again, on another day, I think City probably have two, maybe even three goals in that first half. It just didn't come off. So, you know, for that reason, it was it was kind of a dud. Yeah, interesting. I guess this is sort of where the, the opinion splits between those who, like like myself, were in the stadium and those who had the benefits of, you know, replays and, and whatnot. The, the, the feeling, the, the sentiment uh, in the ground certainly was like, oh my God, that, that was a shit show. Um, and, and I think it's I, like the way I, the way I sort of interpret it, you always expect City to create chances. I, I don't think there's a game possible under Guardiola with the players we have where we don't create chances. So the fact that those chances were missed, I mean, I'm not going to pin any blame on him. He was fantastic and one of the best players on the pitch in the end. But that, you know, that Rico Lewis miss, for example, is inexcusable. In that position, no matter where you were playing, no matter how old you are, you have to hit the target. The Haaland one, I mean, dear me, there was a few times where where he was starting to get slipped through. And I'll bring you in on this, Alex, because one of the biggest talking points post-Liverpool was we've got this 
six foot four striker who is as strong as anyone in the league, who is up there with one of the fastest players in the league. He can finish half a chance, he can finish a quarter chance, whatever it may be. Why are we not utilizing more? I mean, the guys yesterday on yesterday's show did a fantastic job of analyzing it. And then for the first half an hour, they are playing the ball for it's clear that's the instruction and his touch is pinging off <laughs> everywhere. I mean, he looked a bit like Romelu Lukaku back in, in the World Cup last year. Obviously, second half, it all changes, but it, it just for me felt like it felt like a, a side who were who were probably knackered, who were really fatigued, and it was starting to show in that first half. Yeah, I mean, I think you can always point to the schedule and everything that's changed with football over the past few years, and you know we can we can look at the injuries across you know the entire European landscape and whatnot, and so you can point to that and, and use it as a sort of excuse, and I think it's valid to a degree. I think another part of it, though, and something that, that you were mentioning there is there will need to be some adjustments that need to be made and there needs to be sort of a grace period of time where even a player as good as Erling Holland needs to be able to sort of readjust because he played that way in this sort of like more direct, uh, not really counterattacking, but just like in transitional moments back, back at Dortmund and whatnot. And then obviously when he comes to City, he's playing against much more settled defenses. And so I do think it makes sense to try to do what, what Pep seemed to be doing today, where it's like we want to play a bit more in, in transition when we can and allow players to have the agency to play him through when they have those opportunities. But at the same time, you can't just flip a switch on and off. Like There yeah. needs to be some chemistry that needs to be built. And because we don't generally play that way, it's not going to click right, right at the first moment. So I definitely think that there are some positive signs there from what I saw in terms of what you're saying. Like there were players who were taking a bit more risks to play him through. There were probably more through balls to Holland in open play in that game than I've seen, you know, in the past few put together. But at the same time, it's, it's going to take time. We can't expect it to work right away. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. And I think one of the key parts of that as well was the fact his um, his partner in crime, at least this season, Julian Alvarez, wasn't on the pitch. And I, and I know Guardiola spoke about this a number of times. And it was partly the reason why I felt like Ilkay Gundogan's mistake for uh, Ilkay Gundogan's departure was a mistake from a footballing point of view, not necessarily sort of the way the where where he was at his career, having won the treble, etc., etc. Et because you've got a player in Gundogan who spent the best part of last season, sort of within ten yards of of Erling Haaland and working off him almost like a second striker and obviously Alvarez has come in and, and pretty much done that role um, De Bruyne's absence as, as well we can speak about that all day long but um, f- finally then Joe I mean I mentioned it before for the first half because there is plenty of positives for us to speak about as we go into the second half of this show and the second half of the game but Rodri um, I felt like that was and, and maybe I'm going a little bit too early here but I reckon that was uh, confirmation for Pep Guardiola and City that they might need to do business in the January window because speaking of worst performances since X day, I cannot remember when Rodri has played that badly in the last 18, 24 months and I don't for a second think it's an issue with his quality at all it's just indicative of a player who has played <clears throat> what on the top of my head I'd say the best part of 100 games in the last what two years maybe and what's funny about it is Obviously, the bar is set so high for him. I think we probably all consider him the best defensive midfielder in the world, if not arguably the best midfielder in the world. And, uh, you know, if you look at just the numbers, he actually looks like he had a pretty good game. I think this is where, like, some people can get sucked into the the green bubble on foot mob or who scored, you know, whatever it is. But to your point, it was very uncharacteristically Rodri. Um, Like, sloppy, misplaced passes, mistimed tackles, 
um, getting caught out in positions that he never normally does. It just felt like the midfield was wide open. Um, and, you know, typically that's something that he would plug the gaps on. I, I don't know how much of that's having Phil in the central role versus Bernardo. But, yeah, it just felt like everything was kind of off for him. And I think he grew into the match, to be fair. Um, his second half, like the rest of the team, was a lot better. But if you're taking that first half in isolation, it was bad. I think the only thing I'll add on while we get the bad stuff out of the way is, to me, the worst performer on the pitch and the one of the worst performances I've ever seen is Ruben Dias. I mean, yeah. that was, you want to talk erratic, that was like Benfica levels of Dias of the mm. like, just crazy talk. I mean, he was lucky to stay on the pitch. Obviously, he only played 45 minutes, but he was lucky to, to stay on the pitch and you know, that, that second goal it, to me is, is just a, a player of his magnitude and his, you know, experience should never be going in for a tackle like that, let alone missing the tackle. Mm. And it's just, I guess I'm having a hard time analyzing his season because we know last year he came in and was such a, you know, him coming back from injury was such a key component to City winning the treble. This year, he's had some highs, he's had some lows. The Chelsea game, I thought he was pretty awful but there was some off the field stuff that came up after so you know no harm no foul and then the Liverpool match I thought he was brilliant and then he comes into this match and it's like a complete 180 so to me it's like these players that you can typically rely on your dishes your Rodri's your Akanji's were you know just off the mark and players that are that integral having bad performances you can see what happens to the collective unit and that that first half was just oh I don't need to watch that again yeah, I mean, good luck to the analysts trying to get um, trying to get some out of that. I mean, there's plenty for them to work with, but it, it was a bit of a horror show. And and, and yeah, you, you bring up Ruben Diaz. I mean, he was extremely lucky to stay on the pitch. He's already in the yellow card, and I, I believe replays suggested that it was a terrible a terrible dive from the RB Leipzig player, and, and that it shouldn't have been a free kick itself. But I mean, I, I, if I'm a referee and I'm giving that on the edge of the the halfway line, and Ruben Diaz is—I don't know if he was last man, but he was certainly you know, the, the RB Leipzig player. Be, yeah, yeah, exactly. He was away. I mean, if you give the foul, it's a yellow card. So he's right. almost made two mistakes in one because it shouldn't <laughs> have been a free kick and it should have been a second yellow card. Which, luckily for City, that wouldn't have been overturned on VAR because it's only straight red cards. But um, quickly, Alex, because I, I do want to get on the positive stuff. Um, Ruben Diaz, what, I mean, what what's happened to him? Like, like Joe says, I thought he was possibly up there with Akanji as one of City's best defensive-minded players against Liverpool. Obviously, a, an absolute shocker against Chelsea the weekend before, and it has been a little bit hot and cold. Um, do you feel like he's possibly the one who's missing John Stones the most? Fair play to Akanji. He's done a decent enough job sort of doing that hybrid role, but he's not John Stones, and, and I think those two last year were, were the best partnership possibly we've ever seen in, in a city shirt so it does feel like he is the one missing missing him the most yeah i think so i think that's spot on i mean i think john stones probably masks ds's deficiencies better than anyone else in the squad and i think along with that when we play the sort of three two with stones inverting differently to a kanji because when you have stones there you can play a kanji out wide right you know ruben is typically central when stones is playing and, and today we saw him you know a bit wider than the normal and he's had some good performances in the wide areas this season but it's generally you know his strongest area on the pitch is the central area so I think that was a big part of it and that's where he made the mistake for the goal he got sucked out wide right and just got done completely and I think one thing that I do want to add before we get into the, the positives for City I do want to give props to to Leipzig and Marco Rosa in this game because when we've played them recently they typically stick to 
you know, a fourth back system with, you know, two DMs, two attacking mids, and two strikers. And today they played in a way that is pretty much City's kryptonite that we've seen since since Pep has been here, where it's you play with five at the back, you play they were sort of switching between a five three two and a five four one. And then you play with quality runners and you try to play in transition. And that's exactly how all their good chances came. That's exactly how their their goals came. Props to Appenda too for that. So I think that might have been a part of it is I'm not sure Pep and City were expecting them to play that type of system. And and they came and they did. And they did it incredibly well. And they pretty much forced us into having an off day where it's, it's not necessarily like they outplayed us. It's more that they just set us up for failure and, and we fell into the trap. Alex, do you think it was a little bit like a Tottenham Hotspur performance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's funny that we've got them coming up at the weekend, and, <laughs> and thankfully, or at least hopefully, we got the um, got the shakes out of the way there. But it, it did feel like a little bit like a Jose Mourinho um, classic, you know, stunned stun the team. I thought I thought Leipzig in the first half were fantastic. They, they just stepped off a little bit in the, in the second half, and um, they're really fun fun team to watch. I mean, if, yeah. if you do, you know, listeners, if you do get a chance, the Bundesliga is, is probably one of my favourite leagues, if not my favourite. So um, yeah, Leipzig are a wonderful team to watch go and watch them obviously hopefully not anymore against City because that is six games since September 2021 and I cannot take it anymore so um, we'll, we'll see what we'll see what comes uh, next season when the Champions League reforms happen but that'll do for part one listen to stay exactly where you are we'll be back in a moment ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me Kiki Palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The Etihad Stadium really is wonderful at this time of the season. And the same goes for McDelivery. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome back to the City Report podcast. Um... What are we on Wednesday? One, two, three episodes already for you to listen to this week. We've got two more coming as we build up to the Tottenham game. And I'm sure tomorrow we'll still be picking the bones out of this one. Because like I said, Joe, I'm not quite sure 15 minutes is enough to speak about that second half. Um, what changed? Well, I think the biggest thing that changed was, you know, the substitutions between, you know, even Ake, as, as crazy as it sounds, coming on. I, he just, we talked about it a little bit in the group chat, but he just feels like this player who has been almost like what company was actually years ago. And I know that's a huge sell, but just like the calmness that he brings to the team, both defensively and even going forward a little bit. Um, but then also bringing on Doku and Alvarez, uh, you know, City obviously score within a minute of, of them coming on. But it just feels like that was a total change in, in um, maybe not set up, but just play style. Doku, you know, draws two, three defenders at minimum, which opens up space for all the players around him. Um, Alvarez is, you know, he's having an incredible season and yes, he looked a little burnt out against Liverpool, but I think, you know, coming off the bench and, you know, maybe that's something that City looked to throughout the season where if he's getting to that red zone, maybe he, he turns into kind of an impact sub. He was great. 
Um, so to me, it's just kind of bringing on players that that change the way City tend to play and also change the way that Leipzig defend. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Alex obviously was talking about the formations in the first half. I think that they had to make some tweaks along the way with those changes. So to me, again, it's just different players. It's, it's you know, obviously Pep <laughs> probably reaming into them at halftime, but um, I think it was just making key substitutions and the players that remain just taking it up another level. I'm going to pick up on that quickly, Joe, if you, if you don't mind, because I, I left the stadium actually thinking that Alvarez's spot in the starting eleven was sort of more confirmed or more set in stone than it was before the night because of the impact he made. And I, and I get what you're saying, you know, if he is in that sort of red zone and, he, and he's playing a ridiculous amount of football, I mean, we've got a touch wood that he doesn't pick up an injury. But you would suggest perhaps maybe in this sort of run of games coming up where the consequence, you know, looking at the fixture list is obviously one more Champions League game. I'd be shocked if he, he, he played. I mean, I'd, I'd be surprised if he went, let alone if he if he played any minutes. But I mean, you'd like to see him maybe used a bit more as an impact sub where where possible. Because I, I, for me, like I'm looking at that going, Jesus Christ, Haaland has to have early. Uh, uh, Haaland has to have Julian Alvarez or somebody like him next to him to get the best out of him. Well, yeah, so I, I guess I should caveat it by saying in an ideal world, Julian Alvarez for me starts every game till Kev comes back. And even then, I think Kev has a fight on his hands. But I think we, we're really testing the limits here with his fitness in terms of he joined. Let's not forget when he joined City, he was coming off of, a, you know, having already played for River Plate week in and week out. Then he joined City. Then he went to the World Cup, went all the way to the final, played nearly every match, every minute. Then he played a, the rest of a treble-winning season. Then he has, you know, a, a brief off-season. You know, it, to me, it's just like it's it's game after game after mm-hmm. game, and every team benefits from having a player like Alvarez on the side. So, of course, he's going to play. But if we can limit some of those starts to being, and I feel like I always make this reference, but like 17-18 Bernardo Silva, where like maybe not the most starts in the season, but he's making the most appearances – um, okay. Just just to cut down some of those minutes, he's a player that's so important for the next decade. I'd hate to see him get, you know, Gavid or um, you know, potentially Jude Bellion. Right, these young players that just play endless minutes and then they pick up a major injury. Touch wood, that doesn't happen. But I just, yeah, I, I I'm I'm weary right now. Yeah, and I think the fact that he wasn't involved in this game, I know people beforehand would, would dubbing it a little bit of a dead rubber, but um, obviously City needed a minimum a point to, to top the group. And then that that would have, well, it has done it, has neutralised the game in Belgrade. City can go there and, and, you know, was free can get a game. But it's interesting looking on transfer market. Uh, last season, Alvarez made 2,500 minutes. I think he's already up to 1,400. So it does show just how sort of important and just his transformation in the team. Um, Alex then, a, a, another star performer from that second half, Phil Foden, we, we mentioned it before, he gets two assists and a goal, operating in a position that a lot of supporters have wanted to see him. Um, I mean, the stats say he, he did a wonderful job and some of those some of those passes were, were sublime in the second half. I still fancy him more as a, as a winger. I think that's his best position. But is this the sort of the, the first step, perhaps, maybe to the evolution of what people and, you know, we've prophesied it for years, Phil Foden, the, the central attacking midfielder. Is this sort of, are we going to look back in five years and go, OK, that game against Leipzig, maybe that was the start of it all? Yeah, I mean, it is something that, a lot of us have wanted, uh, I'll include myself in that. I, I love Foden in central areas. I do think the right, as you sort of said, almost might be his best position, but I love him in central areas. And I think the the issue, like to bring it back to the, the talk about Julian Alvarez, 
the issue is you, you can't always play them both together in central areas. You have to play Foden wide a lot of the times because there's not enough defensive solidity when you play them both together. And Leipzig were so deep in that second half that they were able to both play through the middle and, and it worked perfectly fine. And so I, I think my main issue is that there's that sort of clash. Like in an ideal world, you just want to be able to play Foden and play Alvarez in their best role each game. But sometimes those clash and, and it's really tricky when, when that happens. And I think another part of it and something that we haven't mentioned yet is the sort of lack of activity that we've had on the right side of the pitch this season. And I was someone who defended Kyle Walker for the initial month or two months of the season, because I thought back then when, when Foden was playing off the right and drifting in field, and it was very, very clear that, you know, that sort of change was happening. I liked it. And then Pep has slowly changed some things. And now Walker is, sort of in no man's land on the right. And we've seen it time and time again now is that no matter if it's Foden out wide, no matter if it's Bernardo out wide, whichever quality the player is who's playing on the right wing, as long as Walker is the one behind them, it doesn't really matter because the ball just doesn't get facilitated over on that side. So I think that's like my, my big issue right now with, with our side is it's frustrating that Kyle Walker has such a big role to play in it. And I love him as a person. I love him as a character. I'm glad that he's still here, but I don't think this is the type of player that he is at this stage in his career. And it has not gone effects for Foden and Alvarez that I just, you know, would rather Pep sacrifice other things and focus on, you know, getting the best out of those two star boy attackers. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting you say that because I, I totally agree. Um, and I, I don't think, I mean, Kyle Walker's probably the first to admit that his attacking contributions throughout his, what, illustrious career aren't his sort of, his biggest positive uh trait do you uh, let, let me read this out to you then alex do you think this would perhaps maybe work on paper it'd be interesting to see how it goes but docu right wing foden next to him sort of you know doing his thing bernardo silva over the offer side with Grealish, like we saw at old trafford because I, I mean, I've said it for ages. I think Doku and Grealish, as much as we debate their sort of their them up, up against each other, the head to head sort of aspect, I think they I think they'd suit each other. I think they'd suit the team. You know, Harland either side. You've got the best of both worlds. Is that an attack that you think you would you would quite mind seeing? Yeah, I enjoy that look on paper. And there's one thing that I, I'm curious to ask you about as well that that ties right into this is. I have an issue with both Foden and Doku starting with the way that the squad is made up right now. Because, mm-hmm. and, and I think I, you can maybe add Julian into this as the third player. But those are the two guys where if, you come, if they come off the bench, they provide an immense spark to the team. And if you have a game like we had today where you know the first half, the first 60 minutes does not go as planned, you need something like that to happen. I can't, I can't remember which match it was recently, but there was one where they both started we played pretty terribly and then Grealish came on to to try to save things and mm-hmm. it was Chelsea wasn't yeah, it yeah 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 and so yeah. you have games like that and it gets out of hand so the thing that I wanted to ask you was what is the difference in in the stadium and, and in real life when Doku's on the pitch at, at the Etihad versus when he's not because it seems like there is such a stark contrast and I don't think it, I don't think it's a good thing long term but I'm just curious because he came on and yes, we scored the goal right at the same time. But whenever he got the ball right after that, I felt like I could hear the entire crowd like gasping through my screen. Mm. 
yeah, it, it, I mean, it was like that. And I think after the first half, anybody who was going to bring any sort of uh, a positive attacking aspects was, was going to get the, the crowd off the seats. And, and, you know, he is certainly a player who, we, we spoke about this in the, in the Liverpool aftermath, of course, he, he's certainly a player who makes things happen just by the nature of, of what he is. And, and that, that game, I mean, he, he came on, he made a massive difference. But it, it, and, and I'll throw it to you, actually, Joe, because it, it's, a, it's a good question. Um, it was tailor-made for him to come on. And we, Alex made a great point in the first half of the show about how Leipzig set up in this sort of unfamiliar 5-3-2 kind of formation looking to hit City on the on the, on the the counter-attack. You stick Doku on that left-hand side, immediately two defenders go out to him. And he, he didn't necessarily have the joy that he did against Liverpool in terms of sort of getting down that wing, creating chances, etc. But you could certainly see it, it occupied defenders and then sort of to bring it full circle that allows Phil Foden the space to to work his magic and and whether or not Phil Foden's playing I don't know holding midfield if he's playing left wing right wing false nine he's a player who is is immensely talented and yet again we're seeing that this season it, it feels to me like Doku's almost turning into and please let me finish this sentence because at first it's going to sound crazy <laughs> he's turning into last season's Erling Holland in the sense that there's something to talk about every single match with him and it yeah. seems like it's some, it, it could be something new every match because these are two young, very talented, very um, raw players. Holland, obviously, is a goal scorer. He's always going to score goals, but there's so much about his game that can evolve and has evolved under Pep. And I think, well, obviously, Doku's not nearly the goal scorer Holland is. You know, he is this electric player that can continually take on his band. But like <clears throat> you and Adam talked about earlier in the week, and I know it got some... Uh, conversation started on on Twitter for lack of a better term um he's not the finished product and you know people are ooing and aahing at some of these stats that people are posting online you know historic levels of dribbles completed that that's fine you know that's a starting point but but what we need to see is okay what about the final ball and what about the link up play and what I took away from today's match that was a positive was his hold up play that was not something I thought I'd be coming on here and talking about but it felt like he came on and you know, I think that's a match that's really hard to come on as a substitute for. It was turning into just end to end. It was chaotic. Leipzig are, you know, a side that you don't really want to play basketball with. Um, and he just came on and, you know, I don't think he would have had that performance his first couple of weeks at City where he wasn't always trying to take on his man. He was recycling possession a little Jack Grealish style. He was holding up play. He was he was like putting a couple defenders on the floor, just like shoulder to shoulder. And this is a little guy we're talking about. So um to me like the the biggest takeaway i had from him was just seeing these different levels of his game evolve and i don't know if that's something that they're Mm -hmm. specifically honing on in training um but then you know bringing it full circle like you said amos just having him on the pitch draws the attention that frees up space for a technical player like foden to slice and dice the middle of the pitch you know score a, a goal that to me I think he's maybe Rico on his day on a technical level, but I don't think there's another player in this squad that can score that type of goal, maybe Bernardo. Um, but to take it in stride and have that finish, but you get that by having a player like Doku drawing in, in two, three defenders at a time. So he doesn't need to be having a couple assists or a goal to, to have a positive impact on the match. And I think tonight showed that exactly. Yeah, um, that that I mean that's a great point. One thing I mean, who am I to tell Jeremy Ducky what to what what he needs to be doing? But one thing I'd, I'd perhaps like to see him do a little bit more is is almost the the best way to describe it is maybe the Raheem Sterling give and go, where 
instead of always trying to sort of beat the man himself, pop it off to a Foden, pop it off to an Alvarez, pop it off to Rico Lewis, and then get him behind. Because well, he kind of had he, that with Rodri, right? A couple of weeks ago, that goal yes, he had against, uh, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he, he certainly got the talent. And to go back to it, I, I totally agree. He's not um, he's not the finished product, and, and nor, nor does he have to be. Yet. He's, he's 21, and, you know, fingers crossed he's here for the next 10 years doing the gritty along the way. <laughs> um, okay, let, let's wrap it up just with a final sort of maybe philosophical question because obviously it was another comeback victory for Manchester City, even though my uh, pessimism didn't see it coming at half-time. And, and, I mean, it was a ballsy shout, Joe, but I'm not quite sure most people would have seen it coming either. Um, I, I almost feel like City and the Etihad Stadium is becoming this, and I hate to use the, the comparison, but Old Trafford sort of style aura defining sort of you know it it is a little bit like Old Trafford back in their heyday when you just went to teams went to Old Trafford and you almost knew you were getting beat or at least at a bare minimum you knew you weren't coming away with a point it is almost impossible and I think the Liverpool game I'm right in saying was the only game this calendar year City haven't won at home and even though RB Leipzig would two nil up. There was still a part in my head going, you know what, there's a chance that we walk away here with three points. And I think it perhaps started, well, what, going back all the way to 2011-12 with the Aguero comeback. But he, more recently, the end of the 21-22 season where City had a couple of, you know, comeback victories, obviously the Villa game that carried over to last season. It just feels like, Alex, that oh, it's almost in the blink of an eye, City and the Etihad Stadium has become the hardest place in world football to come. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think that's part of the reason today was so disappointing to begin with because our expectation level has risen. I was going <laughs> to say that exact same uh, you know, period, that end of the 21-22 season. It just felt like we became inevitable at the Etihad at that period. And it's carried on since. And I think it started to... Like today, it felt like it dropped off a bit, and maybe some others recently, it's felt like it's dropped off a bit. And we need to, you know, keep that up. We need to keep reclaiming that as the, the sort of rightful fortress that it is. And yeah, I think as long as we continue to do what we've done over the past two and a half seasons at the Etihad, yeah, I don't think there's there's another place in world football that at the moment it is tougher to get a victory at. I mean, statistically speaking, it's the hardest place to get a victory at in Europe. They're unbeaten at home in five years. They have not lost a game at the Etihad <laughs> in Europe in five years. I'm not going to bring up the game that they lost because... It was another shit show. Yeah, yeah. I've tried to repress it from my memory. But, I mean, five years for a club that's in Europe every single season going deep into the knockout stages is utterly ridiculous. Um, especially when you look at some of the sides that they have played in the knockout stages. The group stages, to me, you know... They haven't had some of the harder groups, but five years, you know, everyone's due for a slip up. City ha- almost had one today, right? But that that's the true test of, you know, um, winning sides and, and winning atmospheres for that matter. So, yeah, to me, I, I saw that stack come out. And I'm like, that that's incredible. I'd love to know how many games that's over. Um, but, you know, five years kind of speaks for itself. So, yeah, good, good for them. Yeah, City unbeaten in Europe at home for the last five years is a pretty ridiculous start. What in that time you've had Bayern Munich, you've had PSG, 14 times European champions, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid come to the stadium and none of them, none of them have won. That is that is truly insane and, and long may it continue obviously now into the knockout stages in the new year. But guys, we'll wrap it up there. Alex, I mean, that's a fantastic debut from you, my friend. Welcome back anytime. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for your contributions. I appreciate it. No, thank you so much for having me. It was a great time. 
Fantastic stuff, Joe. Another solid showing. I mean, it wasn't quite Ruben Diaz levels. I think you've <laughs> you've you've, uh, you've proven yourself. You'll be in the starting lineup for the Tottenham game, and, and we we'll, we should be hearing more from you this week anyway. So yeah, absolute fantastic stuff. Thank you for jumping on. Yeah, cheers. Thanks, Amos. And listeners, thank you for listening. As always, if you are new, hit follow, hit subscribe. Um, Twitter's all that lovely business in the description, so make sure to follow our wonderful contributors. But until next time, this has been the City Report Podcast, and we'll see you later. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 